1: This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. A new Mirai variant is out and about. They call it Wicked. MewKid automates coin theft... Location smart was buggy and leaky. The U.S. Senate has confirmed Gina Haspel as Director of Central Intelligence. Relaxed tensions along the 38th parallel aside, North Korea remains active against South Korea in cyberspace. There's a lot of fraud in cryptocurrency investing, and the SEC would like to help you recognize it. Plus, my conversation with futurist and author Heather Vessent. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Summary for Friday, May 18th, 2018. Researchers at security company Fortinet have found a new variant of the Mirai Internet of Things botnet in the wild. They call it Wicked and say that it uses three modules, Scanner, Attack, and Killer. Unlike the original Mirai, which brute-forced its way into vulnerable connected devices... Wicked makes use of known exploits to establish access. It scans ports to establish a connection with its targets and uses an exploit appropriate to that connection. Wicked seems to be the work of the same coder who produced the Sora, Oari, and Omni botnets. Security firm RiskIQ has a report out on Mukit and the Russian mob behind it. Mukit is an Ethereum phishing tool that makes novel use of automation in its attacks. Mukit is interesting in the way it uses automation in the service of theft. It begins with a phishing email that's designed to induce the victims to go to a phony MyEther wallet. The landing page harvests credentials in the old, familiar way. Where Mukit represents an advance comes next. It has a module that automatically uses the credentials to drain the victim's real ether wallets into the hood's accounts. As RiskIQ explains, MuKit combines traditional phishing with an automated transfer service to take advantage of what RiskIQ calls the relatively loose security of My Ether wallet. The specific gang behind MuKit is still unknown, but the IP addresses in use and certain linguistic quirks in the scam suggest that it's a Russian group or at least a Russian-speaking group. Krebs on Security says that LocationSmart, a U.S. company that aggregates cell phone location data, has been leaking that data through a buggy demo page on its website. The flaw granted access without requiring authentication. LocationSmart took down the relevant portions of its site yesterday afternoon upon being informed of the problem. AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, and Verizon customers could have had location data exposed. Office 365 is proving increasingly popular as fish bait. The scam usually takes the form of an email purporting to be from the service, telling the recipient that their access to Office 365 will be suspended if they don't reset a password or simply click a link to verify their account. It's all bogus, of course. Microsoft no more sends out that sort of email than it has a boiler room call you at home to say they've detected malware in your Windows machine. But the emails are reassuringly boring, and they're perhaps the kind of thing the unwary and the unfamiliar might fall for. The U.S. Senate yesterday confirmed Gina Haspel as Director of Central Intelligence. She succeeds Mike Pompeo, now serving as Secretary of State. Haspel is a career CIA officer with a background in operations. Representatives Langevin and Liu, Democrats from respectively Rhode Island and California, introduced legislation in the House that would require the White House to reinstate the recently disestablished post of cybersecurity advisor. No one really expects the bill to go anywhere, but it does register discontent with the administration's move. White House cyber coordination responsibilities will devolve upon National Security Advisor Bolton. Hopes that reduced nuclear tensions on the Korean peninsula would moderate North Korean hacking seem to be on their way to being dashed. South Korean sources say that DPRK cyber attacks have continued essentially unabated. The Straits Times reports an interview with Chao Sang-myung, director of software firm Wari Inc., and advisor to South Korea's Police and National Intelligence Service. Choi notes that Pyongyang is interested in capacity building. He says that DPRK hackers have been sent to both China and India for advanced training. Much of their recent activity is directed toward espionage, information gathering. But we're roughly at the one-year anniversary of WannaCry, and Choi says he wouldn't rule out a repeat performance. In what amounts to a dog-bites-man story, the Wall Street Journal says a lot of crypto coin investment offers are scams. You think? Yeah, we thought so too. Anywho, the journal is on the side of the angels with respect to this one. They combed their way through 1,450 coin offerings. 271 of those offerings raised clear red flags, like plagiarized investor documents, Promises of guaranteed returns—always a problem, as connoisseurs of the pink sheets can tell you— and executive teams that, when they're not missing altogether, are often simply fake. The U.S. Security and Exchange Commission is trying to help educate investors to the risks the altcoin investment mania presents. They've set up a bogus coin offering site to show the public what the hokum and bunkum in the market look like. Their coin offering they call Howie Coin. A travel-focused coin, and wow, does it sound like a good deal. Here, give it a listen. Quote, Howie coins utilize the latest crypto technology to allow travelers to purchase all segments without these limitations, allowing Howie coin users to buy, sell, and trade in a frictionless environment, where they use Howie coins to purchase travel or as a government-backed, freely tradable investment, or both. Well, sign me up. Where do I go to surrender? You can check it out at... HowieCoins.com, that's H-O-W-E-Y-C-O-I-N-S. We especially like the celebrity endorsements near the bottom of the page, so read the whole thing, and expect the SEC to come to an open mic night at the Chuckle Hut near you. Nicely done, SEC. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by David DeFore. He's the Senior Director of Engineering and Cybersecurity at Webroot. David, welcome back. Um, We wanted to uh, go through some of the threat trends that you all have been tracking there at Webroot. Uh, You've got some stats to share with us. What do you have?
2: You know, our annual threat report comes out this time of year, and and we're always following and looking at what the trends are. Some of them are new and exciting, um, and some are just the old basics that, you know how we say sometimes, David, the more mundane it is, the more important it probably is to look for. Hmm. It's just some fun stats. 74% of the companies that we see impersonated out there are financial institutions. So that doesn't probably surprise anyone, but if you're getting emails from your financial institution or some financial organization like the IRS or things like that, you want to be doubly sure where those emails or that communication is coming from um, and just be aware because, you know, that's where we see a lot of that impersonating people trying to steal information, et cetera.
1: Now, speaking of impersonations, uh, it was uh, interesting to me that you saw one name popped up uh, particularly often when it came to impersonations.
2: Uh, UPS. And we saw that 52 percent of the time as well. I guess that has to do with trying to track packages, things like that. I can't exactly tell you why that's happening, but we do see UPS quite a bit, and probably because they're more involved with shipping and, and things with Amazon, you know, exploding like they are in online purchasing, UPS, uh, people are trying to um, get information about being able to track packages and things of that nature. That's just the guess on my part. And it was interesting to me also, you
1: saw a, a really significantly high percentage of the malware was unique. Take us through,
2: what are the implications of that? Well, so that's back to, you know, the, our, our, our good friend polymorphism. Um, where it's it's become, you know, it's almost table stakes anymore if you're writing malware to make sure that that malware is polymorphic. And polymorphic malware is where every time a file lands on a new computer, it changes itself so the signature looks different. So that that um, older methodology of looking up signatures just doesn't work anymore. We're seeing, um, you know, 93 to 95% of, of malicious malware on on one machine only. Because of the nature of that polymorphism. So you have to have something that does more than just check signatures. It needs to look for behaviors, and, and hopefully you're not letting it get on the machine in the first place.
1: Yeah, I saw another interesting uh, stat you sent over was that uh, a whole lot of the phishing attacks came from a limited number of domains.
2: Yes. So um, 62 uh, domains in, in our report um, handled 90% of the phishing attacks that we saw in 2017. That Denotes, you know, hack domains or a lot of, you know, free or social domains that are out there where it's easy to create phishing uh, websites that are easy to get on and drive people to. So, you know, if you're aware of these domains and you block those domains, um, it's it's a pretty good method of 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 preventing attacks. The one thing I would say is it's it's the long tail that's the real threat. It's yes, we've seen 90% of phishing attacks. Uh, you, you, you know, came from those domains, but but those other 10% are coming from very small uh, domains that we still have to be able to protect. So in terms of uh, what
1: you're seeing in terms of overall trends and how that should inform how people manage their resources, what would your advice be?
2: Well, uh, you know, again, you've always got to have the basics in terms of uh, uh, an antivirus that does file scanning and analysis. But a lot of effort needs to be put into protecting your users when they're online using, you know, threat intelligence to block people from going to malicious websites, using phishing tools that help identify phishing websites to prevent those types of uh, attacks from occurring. And then one big thing we're seeing a rise in that we do encourage is getting training for your employees and try to get that training as close to the actual event as possible so that it becomes contextual in nature rather than, you know, having training once a year on PII or PCI, try to get that training a little, you know, delivered at the time that maybe a phishing attack happens Uh, because then people tend to remember, oh, oh yeah, now I need to be paying attention. David DeFore, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me, David. It's always great.
1: My guest today is author and futurist Heather Vessent. Her research on cybersecurity, cyber economics, and cryptocurrency have been featured in the New York Times, on CNN, CNBC, and Fox, and she's spoken at conferences including South by Southwest, TEDx, and The Future of Money. I kicked off our conversation by asking her to explain what exactly is a futurist.
0: A lot of people think the future is like the past and the present. There's one past, there's one present, so there's one future, which is one of the reasons why we love predictions, because predictions set forth one future. But the medium of the future is really different. The medium of the future is all possibilities. And so what I do as a futurist is I study the changes that are occurring in our present time. These can be trends, these can be technology trends, these can be all kinds of different, you know, what's happening in politics, cultural, social, economic stuff. So I study all the changes that are happening in our world today, and then I extrapolate them out to various timelines in the future. From that, I will create a baseline future, which is kind of like if nothing changes – And we push it out, you know, however many years, five, 15, 50 years. This is what the future could be like. But nobody has 100 percent control over all of the variables of the future. So there's a lot of different other futures that could occur. And so then I identify what those variables are, uh, you know, twiddle the knobs on them and then come up with alternate futures or other futures.
1: So it sounds like it's more like being a meteorologist than, say, a psychic.
0: Oh my God, it's so not a psychic at all. It's, 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 uh, I have a master's of science and foresight. Right.
1: Didn't mean to trigger you so, there,
2: uh, Heather.
0: <laughs> Actually, lots of people get confused about it. I am a I know. scientist of the future. What does that mean? Do you get
1: a lot of eye rolls at cocktail parties when you say the word futurist? Well, um, more people more polite than me, I guess.
0: (laughs) No, no. Actually, I get two kind of different responses. One is people are fascinated and they ask me questions, and the next thing I know, you know, we're in like a multiple hour long conversation. Right. Or people are just not that interested. And I think I also preemptively, like, I'm like, I'm a futurist, not a psychic. Right. (laughs) Right. I don't tell the future. I don't make predictions. What What led you
1: to your specific interest in cybersecurity?
0: Well, in the last couple of years, I've had three projects that have really led me into the cybersecurity space. So, um, I co-wrote the Cyber Attack Survival Manual, and it's really a guidebook for normal people to, you know, be safe and secure online. At the same time, I was doing a project for the U.S. Army. I was looking at the future of military learning. The point of that project was to look at new technology like AR, VR, distributed learning, tablets, that kind of stuff could be used to do military training. And this is kind of like the training that everyone would get when they enlist in the military, when they're learning military leadership skills, as well as the core competencies that they need to do their job. Cyber war is the newest domain for the military. And so the whole scenario I put together to show the future of military learning was training for a cybersecurity war game, which then led me to wanting to kick off some research on the future of security. And um, I ended up being invited to write this paper that I just finished for the New Security Paradigms Workshop and um, I co-wrote the paper with Bob Blakely, who does security at Citibank. And uh, the titles of the paper is Shifting Paradigms, using strategic foresight to plan for security evolution. He brought his security background. I brought my foresight futurist background, kind of like mashed it up to really look at what are some real legit scenarios of the future. And I was blown away by what we found out As a futurist, I have lots of different methods available to me. And um, for this particular research, um, I decided to utilize uh, what I call a foresight interview protocol. And so there's a way that I like to interview people that focuses on current trends and and then uh, where it could go in the future. I also like to use a method called appreciative inquiry. And that focuses on what's positive and already working in the industry to see where things might grow versus focusing on the problems that we have. I also used a method, um, it's one of the best methods and newest methods in, in, in uh, foresight studies called causal layer analysis or CLA. I use a light version of it. It helps you dig into kind of some of the underlying themes and cultural aspects in an industry that you might not otherwise find. And so I used these methods in conjunction with one-on-one interviews and a standard survey. And one one of the things that was the most interesting to me that came up from the research was this idea that the reason we have so much, so many black hat hackers these days is because we don't have full employment for everyone who has these skills. It arises in countries that have really good education, but poor economic markets or work markets. For example, in the former Eastern Bloc or Brazil, um, you have very smart people that have very good education, but they're not able to get jobs. And so instead of what they're doing is they're using their skills for evil because they're trying to make a living. And so one of the new paradigms that I discovered was this idea that we have like attackers and defenders, adversarial experience. And so when i wanted to flip that paradigm and think well what if there was no more adversaries like how could we have no more black hat hackers and i thought well what if everyone who has the skills is fully employed then they don't need to go out and find a way to monetize their skills they don't have so much time and no money and So thus the meta and the motivation to be able to like break these things that changes the world dramatically. And then we kick that up even more and thought, well, then who would be hiring like the actual hackers to hack into things? Well, then maybe it's only going to be nation states that are going to be hiring these super high skilled people to do, um, you know, cyber warfare at the hacker level. And um, we really kind of came up with this whole idea idea of a Cold War 2.0. So, you know, that's just kind of an example of one of the more kind of far out there things we came to.
1: And I suppose it's challenging for some people to imagine what the possibilities might be, either good or bad.
0: Absolutely. As a futurist, um, it's a lot easier for people to think about the negative consequences of technology. But um, that actually doesn't ever really happen because if it did, we'd stop building technology. Technology and all of the new things that we come up with inevitably make our lives better and more interesting. And they also give us a whole new set of problems to solve. We're going to solve our old problems and we're going to create new problems. And um, that's just kind of what we do as humans. That's author
1: and futurist Heather Vesant. You can learn more about her work on her website heathervescent.com. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at the